Today's show is being brought to you by contributors at Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash the education game to support the show and thanks. Hello gamers, this is Matt Barnes and on this episode we're going to be having a question and answer period with a parent about their child's education. Now, this story may not perfectly apply to what you're going through and kind of your situation, but what you're going to learn, you're going to learn lessons and principles that will help you learn how to become your child's head coach. We're going to help you learn how to build confident, curious learners. So if that's what you're interested in, then sit back, buckle up, and let's get to our questions and answers. I'm Matt Barnes, and this is the Education Game Podcast. Courtney, I can hear your kids in the background. How are you today, and what can I help you with? Good, yeah. Um, so originally we connected on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, and actually we have a mutual connection. I'm just going to throw a name out there, Eric yeah. Williams. Oh my gosh. So Eric and I worked together yeah. at Chicago Hope Academy here in Chicago. Oh, you're kidding. And I saw you guys were a mutual connection. Yes. I worked um, with him. I worked with him in 1993. You really? probably weren't. You probably weren't born at the time. Oh, I, I was born <laughs> <laughs> in grade school, but born. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Yeah, yeah. So Eric and I worked together here in Chicago, um, but I, I wanted to reach out. Um, I, you know, I have a past as an educator as well, high yeah. school and secondary. Yep. Okay. Um, my oldest is four and a half. So my husband and I have a four and a half year old, three year old and one year old. Um, yeah. So we're just making the move from Chicago to Memphis in two weeks. And as we've been looking for a house and everything, we've been talking a lot more about our plan for education for our kids. Sure. sure. Again, look at me. It's four, four and a half, almost three uh-huh. the next and... week. And then, um, 13 months. Got it. Okay. So we'll be, you know, jumping in with both feet, um, on the education stuff very quickly on, on their schooling, I should say. Yep. Um, and right now our, our setup is my husband works full time. He'll be working out of an office once we get down there. And then I work part-time as a consultant, a social impact consultant so that I can have a flexible schedule. Amen to that. Um, Yep. Yeah. So, um, Okay. Yeah. So in in your note that you sent me, you mentioned that you're now kind of trying to figure out what is learning in an education look like as you're moving cities. I think it's a, first off, and if I could just jump ahead a little bit, I think it's a beautiful conversation and a perfect timing for it because most families, they get into a situation and it's hard to unwind or back away from something you've committed to, even though you don't like um, uh, what you've committed to inertia is a powerful force. <laughs> yes. And so whenever you have a transition, it makes this really neat opportunity to go, all right, let's, let's reevaluate. And frankly, that's a lot of what I'm talking about right now with COVID. This is the opportunity and the time as schools are starting to reopen to go, all right, what do I actually want? And yep. that's really what's driving your call, right? Yeah. And I think that um, like ideologically, mm-hmm. um, my husband and I are both big believers in the public school system, the institution mm-hmm. of public school, yep. community within the public school, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Where we're moving, there's less commitment within the city limits uh, to yep. the public school system, 
a lot of families that can afford to send their kids to private yep. religious schools. Yep. That's not our plan. We'll be sending our kids to the public schools. The trade-off we're making is that a lot of these schools become, th there's a lot of like testing ground stuff going on in the yeah. schools, yeah. which I'm okay with. Um, wait, wait, let me, let me make sure I'm understanding you. What do you mean testing ground? So the Memphis public school system has historically struggled. Yes. And like the Gates Foundation came in like 10 years ago with a big grant. So there's all this like improvement stuff going on. Got it. Got it. There's a lot of like teacher review and I've been, and then there was a merger between the county public school system, which city encompasses, mm -hmm. yep. Shelby County encompasses the, the nearby suburbs and then the city. Yeah. Um, and that has brought its own frictions. Sure. Um, and so we're, 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 it's an interesting time for Memphis public schools. I think that all of these changes will be positive, but I think a lot of the schools are going through growing pains. Sure. Um, and so putting our, plunging our kids into that is, um, you know, just something we want to be cognizant about. Right. Yeah. Let me, if I could interrupt again, I mean, yeah. so again, kind of anticipating if you're thinking kind of like I would be thinking at that moment, there's this tension between committing to the public school system, which it sounds like you are highly committed to, but also recognizing that by doing so, that creates a level of risk in your child's educational life, as well as their social life, as well as the family impact of that risk. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risks and costs associated with that. What I would like to do, though, is to just kind of wipe the, the slate a bit and just kind of start a little bit fresh with a zero-based budget and ask you the question that actually matters most, which is what do you want or who do you want your children to be? I, so I think most parents would say I want them to be happy. Mm -hmm. I said who? Right? I think, and you could probably relate to this too, I think that's found by, you know, following your intellectual curiosities, yes. feeling empowered to do that mm -hmm. and feeling that whatever kind of lifestyle you want to create, whether that's a huge house or whether that's traveling as much as you want, or like mm -hmm. whatever kind of lifestyle you want to have that you can go out and work hard and create that for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, design that, right? Yeah. Yep. So that it's less about what you should be doing or, or something specific and in the, in understanding that that life you imagine that you're designing might change over time. Absolutely. And so you need to just, that's where I think like that lifelong learner piece comes in. Bingo. So that you can feel empowered to make those shifts um, and keep doing what, you know, you're meant to be doing in the world. That's right. Um, going and, back and, to what you were saying, like the inertia, you know, like yes. when you feel that be feeling empowered to escape it with your, with your skills and right. knowing that you can build the skills you need to escape that. Inertia. So I had a conversation with a parent about this yesterday. Uh, this issue of this idea of being a learner is something that is actually, it's a generational transmission. It's a generational skill. And so when a parent gets stuck, and I've been stuck, uh, when a parent gets stuck, they teach your children how to be stuck. Um, and when a parent actually recognizes that they're a learner, 
they're never stuck and they teach your children never to be stuck. It's, it's very much of a, it's an un, I don't diagnosed, undiscussed dynamic within families. And I work with a ton of families. So when, when I heard you say about what you want, who you want your children to be, they're all the things that most parents want, right? Um, happiness, but more broadly that they have the agency to design their life and to flex based on what's happening within their life in their life. Job gets disrupted, no fault of their own. They can flex into a new role because they've already been learning some other things of interest to them. Uh, they get married and they, you know, one needs to stop working. They can flex into another role. Like, like that is the flexibility that really is required in the 21st century because there is nothing that's predictable. It's all, yeah. everything is changing, right? Yeah. So if that's what you're after, question number two, Courtney, is do you expect that the structure of school will get that for your child? No. Okay. So now, no. oh, I'm sorry, you want to add to that or? Um, it's just funny. My, my husband and I talk about this a lot because, um, you know, we had really different, we had different experiences. We grew up in different states. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it was like wildly different, but you know different experiences yeah, sure. and we remember just... school very differently. I remember feeling bored. I remember feeling, I'm a little more like creative, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And um, I think my oldest child is a little more like this. Mm -hmm. So I've always, um, you know, as an educator, when I learned about Rudolf Steiner and mm -hmm. the Waldorf philosophies and sure. Magda Gerber and Montessori, and sure. I'm really drawn to all these, they're no longer alternative methods, but I'll let me interrupt and just say they are uh, they're well documented ways that people learn best. Yep. Right. Yes. You're drawn to that. Of course you are. Right. Everyone yeah. who's aware of them should be drawn to that. But go on. Yes. Where my husband feels that um, you know he more fondly remembers the infrastructure of school, mm -hmm. and he still structure. kind of likes to have that infrastructure. He likes to mm -hmm. go to the office and he likes to have a nine to five. Yeah. Um, he's not afraid of change. Like we're moving for a new job and he's gone through his own shifts, but sure. um, the in, I could do without the infrastructure. He really enjoys it and remembers school well that way. Yeah. And I think my second child is a little more like that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think God has a sense of humor. He always puts parents together who have, you know, different perspectives and views. And that's, you just described my wife and I, right. I've had, yeah. um, oh, I don't know. I've had like three distinct actually careers. Uh, maybe even four if you maybe and so uh, and she's had one <laughs> and she's like locked in and has always been that way at least you know from high school on um, now but again uh, the question I'm sure you've talked about this with your husband is what's the future likely to look like is it more likely to look like the stable career path trajectory or is it more likely to be this kind of uh, constant flexing I, I, I trained in this area uh, and now I'm working in this area and I didn't train in this area, but I learned it on, on my own and I'm working, right? which, which is more likely going forward. And I mean, I'll let you answer the question. I, I think I know what you'll answer, of course. Yeah. Well, for my husband, more the former, um, he, he would say that it's going to be more stable. Yeah. He's, he's hoping this job will work out long term. Oh, no, no. I didn't mean for him. I meant for your oh. kids who are three and four and one. Yeah. But like look forward 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. What is likely to be more, what's going to be more common? The, the straight pathway of, I got a 
you know, went to college, got this job, stayed in that industry or in that kind of trajectory, or this kind of more meandering kind of nonlinear pathway, which is more likely to happen 15 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I honestly think it depends. Like if I think of um, my husband's uh, mother is, was a physician for 35 years. Mm-hmm. So my son was talking to her and then afterwards, he's just been saying lately, I want to be a doctor like my Grammy. Mm-hmm. So if he did want to do something like that, I would say more of the, here's the pathway to get mm-hmm. there. And it's very time consuming. You have to do these things a certain way. Yeah. Um, I would say, unless you go down one of those types of paths, you know, 80% chance you're going to have to develop the skill of getting to a crossroads and choosing a path and then developing the skills you need to be successful on that path and then getting to another crossroads, choosing a path, developing the skills you need to be successful and not freezing when you get there, looking back or. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you actually just described medicine. Um, I, my first uh, career distinct career was as a healthcare administrator and I worked with hundreds and hundreds of docs and there's no doc who, uh, who's not constantly learning and constantly upping their skills and constantly, you know, building new parts into their practice. Um, those doctors, you know, maybe they, maybe they were common 50 years ago, but not anymore. Yeah. So, interesting. That's yeah. True. so my point is, all right, you, you mentioned that you're committed to the public school and you mentioned that you're have low confidence that they're going to get your kid ready to the way you need or your way you want. And you mentioned the conversation with your husband where, uh, we can generally assume that when no one knows what the future is going to be, we, we can generally assume that it's going to look nothing like the past and it's going to be much more flexible. It's going to be much more um, dynamic uh, in terms of our work careers, our relationships, our travel, um, that you and I are talking uh, like we're in the same room and we're, you know, what, a thousand miles apart. Uh, and that I have these conversations with people all over the world in the exact same way. There's no, de- there's no doubt that the world has shifted on us. So what the question that I put to every parent is this, um, given what you just described, um, um, how, how do you anticipate or, or what supports might you need to prepare your child to enter that, fu- that future world, again, that we don't know what it's going to look like, but to enter that with the confidence this agency, the, the real ability to learn anything at any time, right? What's the model? What's the structure? Uh, what supports do you need to make that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a tough um, one. I think there's sort of like three parts mm-hmm. I think of for their education. It's like the social, the academic, um, and how would I describe it? Um, like the intellectual curiosity piece. Uh So I think that school can give them the social element um, really well. I think, you know, they can go to a school and build their community. Um, I think the academic piece comes from school and parents. I was recently... I just started reading um, Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda oh, Ripley. I love that book. Yep. Yep. And um, I'm just, my husband just read it. I'm just in the first few chapters, but mm-hmm. I've read the summary, you know, different people's summaries of it. And one thing that jumped out to me is that parent involvement in schools doesn't translate to 
I guess, higher achievement for students necessarily. It's the involvement has to be academic. Yeah. And so that's one thing, um, you know, a role I, I plan to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the intellectual curiosity piece, I want, I, I want my kids to know how to carve out the space to just go like tinker with something and learn. They're really good at that now. And I don't want them to lose that when yes. they get older. And it's like, are you, everybody open the same book, you know, right. you know, how it is. That's Not all I that do. Book, the other book, it's like, right. who cares? They're quiet. They're reading. It's their job to pass the test. Just keep going. You know what I mean? Right. No, I get you. And I, my, my business partner, um, he opened a school that was, that was very unusual in that it, um, it really taught kids how to learn. And when those kids, this was a middle school. And when those kids went back to high school, they really struggled because um, the, the school kept saying, um, no, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to show you what you have to learn in order to achieve. And the kids were like, no, I don't need that. Just tell me what the goal is and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. In fact, in many ways, I don't even need to be here. <laughs> if you tell me what I need yeah. to study, I don't need to come to school to do that. I can do that at any other time. And so that's the agency that kids can develop. And so this document, you see this uh, um, yep. uh, Im- uh, image? Yes. And for the folks that are on the podcast, my apologies, I'll try to explain this. Uh, but this is the leadership learning graph that I'm going to be doing a, you know, a training about. This, this is the graphic that should blow your mind. You should, you should literally explode after I get done <laughs> with this conversation. All right. So um, the, what you're looking at, or at least you know, for those that, you, that are on um, podcast, what I have here is, uh, are two lines, uh, a blue line and a red line. The blue line starts high finishes low over time, and the red line starts low and finishes high over time. The red line is the uh, line for a child. So um, can you see that? Mm -hmm. Can't read my my handwriting probably, but uh, when a child is born, they have zero agency. They're not able to answer or or decide anything for themselves. They have to Uh, get everything they can from their parent, right? So by definition, the parent has 100%, the parent is the blue line, 100% um, control over their learning. Can you read that? Okay. So at birth, parent has 100% control or leadership of the learning, child has zero, right? We all agree with that, right? At some point in the future, uh, 13 years old, eight years old, 20 years old, at some point in the future, every parent wants their child to be on the far right side of this graph where they are able to lead their own learning, exactly what you talked about, right? Um, And the role of the parent declines to not, not ever, you know, parent will always have a role, but the role is turns into a coach rather than, you know, the command and control trainer that a, you know, a, an infant might have, right? So you've got kids that are in this early phase. Um, you, you can't say to them, probably, um, uh, well, child, um, what would you like to eat? Go ahead and go to the grocery store, buy it, and then cook it up and uh, ha- handle it, right? You can't do that. Uh, but you can uh, when they're at some later point in their life. And so the point is that 
the job of the parent is to transition children into this independent agent action. So the phase, first phase of this process is training where you are constantly, again, I know this from just our, our conversations, you're teaching your parent, your kids, right? You're teaching them, you know, how to, how to tie their shoe, how to eat with a spoon, how to clean up their room, you know, how to walk, how to, um, you know, stay by the cart when you're at the grocery store, all these things you're teaching the child. That's what happens in the early phase. I used to call this the um, command and control phase where the parent like has control. I just changed the training because the next phase is the challenging phase and that's the negotiation phase. And again, this is not necessarily based on age because we talked to a kid last night who at the age of like eight, this kid was, was full in the negotiation stage and he had a desire to lead his own learning. Um, and by the age of 12, he was speaking <laughs> at um, college level uh, um, kind of entrepreneurial events, right? He was just on it. He was gone. And so this idea of this negotiation, it can happen early. But I've also met parents and, and families who have kids who are, you know, 20, 23, and they're still stuck in this phase. They've never kind of built their own agency. But then the last phase, of course, is really freedom. And that's freedom for the child and for the parent, where the parent no longer has to um, supervise a child because the child has demonstrated their ability to supervise themselves. Is this making sense? Okay, this is the challenge that every parent has. And I hope this is starting to blow your mind because as you think about what success actually is, let me, I would encourage you to think about this freedom stage as being true success, where you as a parent do not have to worry about your child because they have demonstrated to you over months and years that they can handle it, mom, right? Uh, that's my definition of success. And that's where my kids are right now. And I've got a 15, 16 and seven, 18 year old and hands off, they handle most of their decisions. Um, I, they are far more responsible than I was at age 25, uh, you know, and, and they're 15, 16, et cetera. So this is the model. And the question that I would put to you is, where is your child? But the next question I would put to you is, what does a school typically do with the child? And let me show you that real quick. So if you think about the same picture, let me make a couple adjustments to this. Um, uh, the school uh, owns 90%, maybe 95% of the learning when the child is young, right? Child goes to school, here's the agenda, here's the book, open it up, here the test can be on this date, we'll define what success looks like, it's, it's ours. But guess what? That actually never declines over time. The school always maintains heavy controls over the child. Yes, you have to be here at eight, at, at eight o'clock, even though you're 14 years old or or 17 years old or 18 years old, you got to be here at this time. And yes, we're going to tell you what's going to be on the test and what you're going to study and which book you're going to read and when it needs to be done, blah, 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 blah. Right. So the, the school owns learning. I'm sorry to be too, like, hope I'm not getting too de deep into this, but this is super important. Schools, school owns learning. So what happens to the child? They actually get stuck. I'm going to del delete this. Um, if I can, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, the school, the child kind of gets stuck down in here. 
they have the capacity and the internal desire to lead, but they can't. So when I say that, and oh, not well, last point, and then we'll get to the key issue. At some point, they leave school, and then from that point on, guess what? They're expected to own 90% of their decision making. That's why so many kids go to school and they act like a friggin' knucklehead, myself included, because I had never been given freedom. Got to school and just went hog crazy, uh, being drunk on that freedom, having never uh, been responsible, learned the responsibility for that freedom. And so the school sets kids up for this. Some kids get stuck where that's where you see a 23 year old who really hasn't figured out how they can learn and they get stuck. Uh, that's how you, uh, that's how you have that is because they've never been given the reins. So all this to say is I would argue with you, Courtney, at some point, every parent's going to have to wrestle with this curve. And, um, and when they do, they have to figure out, are they going to stick in the model that they're in? The one that was built in, in 1900, uh, are they going to do a blend, which is stick in the model, but fight it tooth and nail, or to build something outside of that model. And, and unfortunately, uh, those outside models are things that are largely parent-led and parent-run because there's no private or public dollars to support that type of, the type of individualized child agency kind of work. So given all this, when you say we are committed to the public school system. This is what you're going to have to fight against and struggle with from day one. You're on mute still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think that the, I think where we are right now is the fighting tooth and nail phase or, you know, gearing up for that mm -hmm. right now. We're at a lovely, very creative preschool. Nice. We'll probably have a year of Montessori school mm -hmm. and then we'll jump into the public school system. Yep. Um, and my fear with that whole, um, you know, command and control phase is that it will, it will kill that innate sense of creativity and, um, you know, intellectual curiosity that my kids, that we've spent the first five years of their lives cultivating. Sure. Um, so that being said, I think that we feel our commitment to the public school system is it's part of our ideals. It's partly political. It's in our mind, it's a commitment to community and it's showing up not just for our kids, but for all kids. Right. Um, so that's a hard piece to negotiate. I, I was thinking of this the other day, actually, um, you know, since you mentioned alternative models, I was kind of like, man, the, the ideal would be three days of school, like school as we know it, command and control school. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two to three days of just kind of what we have now, like sort of a co-op homeschooling type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder if you could just enroll your kids for two to three days a week at public school. <laughs> All right. So now what we're getting at here is how do you begin to um, design your child's learning and their learning plan? Uh, what you just described is exactly the model that my kids went through. And it was no fault of my own. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to like design this. I fell into it by just dumb luck and 
God's providence. Uh, our kids went to school two days a week, traditional structure, traditional model, and they learned at home the other three days a week with homework that was assigned by the school. Um, um, there's a conversation we could have about that, but ultimately it was a blend. It was a hybrid and it was absolutely fantastic. It, it, go ahead. Sorry, this was a, I'm curious to hear more. This was a public mm -hmm. school in Houston? No, because public schools don't allow this because there's so, there's, there's so many rigid rules. That's the system doesn't allow creativity, true creativity and entrepreneurship in education. This was a private hybrid model um, that actually I was on the board of for, for a few years as well. Um, and it's not, it, it's, it's exactly what a, um, you know, the term micro school, that's actually what it is. It's a micro school. Uh, this just happened to be a large micro school with now I think there's a thousand students in it. Um, and our kids aren't there anymore because they've become even more, that was even too confining for them. Uh, but that model is actually not hard to build. It's not expensive. It does require intentionality and time. Um, and, and actually we're working with some families that are building it right now in Houston. Uh, and there's families all over the country that are exploring this. Um, it, you don't require, it doesn't require a full-time employee, so to speak, to, to staff it. Uh, so, but and what, I'm, what I wanna do though, is make sure that the, ID, the, the idea that public or private or public or homeschool that there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a spectrum within there. And even if you decide to enroll your child in a five day a week public school, you'll need to explore this. But it, I've, I've talked to some parents about, all right, um, uh, you know, every Wednesday and Friday, um, you know, if you have the flexibility as a family, pull your child out of school and tell the school um, it's a mental health appointment and go to the park, right? First off, uh, I bristle at the idea that I have to give a reason for anything I do with my children, yeah. right? Because <laughs> it's my kid and right. I don't need to explain that to anybody, right? You're, getting, you're seeing my, the hair on the back of my neck start to stand up, right? But if they do ask the question, well, is, you know, is this excuse or an excuse? You say, well, yeah, I'm taking them to a mental health appointment, which is exactly what you'd be doing. And you'd go to the park and you would play and there'd be other kids at the park and, um, and they get to have time with friends and, or with their, with, their, with their siblings. They get to cook a meal together. You get to have a, you know, early bedtime rather than homework and all that stuff. So, so yeah, there are ways that you can start to push the envelope of what school requires. But at some point, you're going you're gonna to face this, which horse you're going to jump on, right? There's, there, at some point, you're going to have to decide. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that um, in my mind, you know, that the micro school concept is really interesting. I'm actually going to explore that. And I think the needs in elementary school are different than the needs in middle school and high school. Like I truly believe that the way people learn shifts over time. Sure it does. And I think that if your child can become a really good reader, they can make every school day productive as long as they can have out the book they want to read and kind of like I've been a teacher. I know that you can't just go in and disrupt a classroom and do whatever you want, That's but right. should kids be able to read whatever they want to read and understand that the consequences are on them for, you know, there's going to be a test. This still is school. I don't want my kids to have to dodge Tests every or... test necessarily, but like, 
I don't want that to be the pinnacle of their learning either. Which goes into a whole conversation we could have about grades and how grades yeah. distort learning from being something joyful to being something that's now high stakes. And once oh. some, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, just once something become, becomes high stakes, what you're no longer doing is actually, you're not really learning. You're actually trying to get over the hurdle. You're not thinking about anything other than getting over the hurdle, um, which again, corrupts the idea of what, what learning should be about. It's about the joy. It's about the discovery. It's about learning things that matter to you. Yep. So that's, that's going to be, so anyway, go on. You were going to say I'm, something. I'm curious to hear more of your perspective on grades and mm -hmm. oh. since your children are older, how you guys have handled it. Yeah. Um, we, I, I feel very much like it's, what's the point of the great, you know, like, like, where's it all going? And, um, my husband is a little more like getting, trying to get an A actually matters. It's not everything, but it, it's something you should strive toward and grades do matter. Um, so we're just figuring out how we'll talk to our kids about that when the time right. comes. So um, I can send you some literature about it, but let me start with um, grades create some other dynamics that you should be super aware of. So first off, one of your kids um, will, and this always happens because every kid is different. This is how it's going to work for you. Uh, I can bet you money. Uh, one of your kids is going to uh, get A's easily. Okay. And that kid is going to learn that, um, uh, that they're smart and they will begin to learn that uh, they don't have to work hard to succeed, quote unquote. Classic um, fixed mindset training, right? Child doesn't have to work hard. They get good grades and they start to, they start to fear uh, failure, which is exactly the opposite of what you should be, I would, ar I would argue, what your, your children should be learning in the 21st century. Failure is the best learning, but when a child fears it, they will start to avoid courses that are difficult. They will start to avoid looking stupid, quote unquote, looking like they don't know the answer because in their mind, they're smart. Are you familiar with some of the fixed mindset, um, growth mindset stuff? Yeah, I actually, uh, I did my master's at teacher's college. Oh, at, okay. You know, where Carol Dweck does right. a lot of her work. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So you're very well. So that's one of your kids. The other child will work super hard and get a B minus. And they're going to go after a while and be like, well, why am I working so hard? Right. I can't win this game. So yeah, I just won't work. Versus what I would advocate is you or, you know, someone in your network and you're one of your assistant coaches. Again, I, I would call you the head coach of your child's learning, and you develop a strategy in collaboration with the child, starting with the single most important question that's never asked in school, which is, what are you curious about? Right? Ask that of your child on some regular basis. Check my LinkedIn feed. There's a 20-minute uh, uh, video about a dream map for your child, where you and the child sit down and talk about what they dream about becoming, who they dream about becoming. And that then becomes the beginning of a learning path that helps the child learn how to learn, right? So 
Um, and this is for any, any age. Absolutely. And that's the thing. The earlier you start this, the better. Because once the child starts to realize that success means getting A's, it immediately, it immediately triggers this idea that, um, that I want to win. I want to win this game. And I'm afraid of losing the game. Uh, and then it'll also trigger for the other kid who worked hard and got a B minus or a C plus. Um, oh, man, maybe I'm not smart, right? Maybe I shouldn't bother with this. So now, having said all that, I mentioned I came from the healthcare administration world. My, mom, my wife is in medicine. Uh, tests do matter, right? They matter as a diagnostic tool. Can you imagine if your children went to a, the pediatric clinic and the doctor said, um, hey, it looks like you got a lot of sugar in your blood. You failed, right? <laughs> Sorry, you failed. Parenting this is terrible. Fail. <laughs> What's that? Parenting fail. Right, exactly. Versus, yeah, yeah, you got a lot of, a little bit, of, or a lot of sugar in your blood. Looks like we need to do a new plan, right? Completely, completely different kind of emotional uh, approach to that. Um, and likewise, if your child says, I'm super interested in learning, I don't know, about bugs, whatever, uh, there is no failure because anything they learn about bugs gets them further up the scale of learning. And the longer they maintain that energy and excitement about bugs, the more likely two things will happen. One, they'll deepen their knowledge. And the second part is their knowledge will start to splinter off and branch off into areas completely unexpected. They may learn about trees through bugs. That Then they'll learn through, through trees, they'll learn about respiration. And then through respiration, they'll learn about air quality and pollution. And through air quality and pollution, they may learn about policy and, and then politics, right? I mean, it, it, you can't predict this. Learning is never linear. We try to make it so in the school, but it's not linear. So this is the model of learning that I would argue is far more engaging to your child. It's, pers it's truly personalized. You've been in education, you know that the whole conversation about personalized learning, it's bull. Personalized learning in a school context is we're going to give them 5% uh, ownership, but we're going to still maintain 95% as the school. So that is all of, I mean, I could go on, I could talk to you an hour about grades alone, but those are some of the elements that I would, I would bring up around grades. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like the inquiry-based learning. Mm -hmm. Sure. Montessori. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. Um, it does give kids like 5% ownership because there's still such a huge classroom management component. Of course. And, and I, again, I want you to be clear. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a child, a grandchild and a great grandchild of teachers. I have the utmost respect for teachers. I just argue that the system has shifted and that now what is actually needed are coaches. Cause you can get, you can get, you can learn anything you want. It's all available. Right. When I was in school, if I wanted to learn something, I had to ask, I had to ask a teacher. That's not the case anymore. So helping a child learn as quickly as possible that they have the skills and, and teaching them the skills to learn how to learn is actually mission critical. Do you think there's um, any school models that are doing this really well right now? Um, yes, there are some like high tech high in Southern California um, seems to do pretty well with that. But the fact that you're asking the question and the fact that I have to scratch my head and come up with the same school that's been out and running for you know, 10 years is a sign that there's a problem, right? Uh, this, is not, this is not new information. This is, this is actually well-established learning 
uh, research. Like what, how, how does a child learn? How does a child love to learn? How does a child uh, become a lifelong learner? These are all the ways it happens. How does a child hate to learn? Put grades on it, right? And have them struggle and look around the classroom and see that they worked hard and they got a B minus when the kid across the street or across, across the aisle didn't work and got an A plus. That is a great way to destroy a love of learning. And your husband probably was across the aisle and he was doing well and he was rewarded for, uh, for his grades. Um, but that's a small fraction of kids, probably 10%. Uh, and then there's other kids who are incredibly creative, uh, have other skills that are completely undervalued within an educational context, a traditional educational context, right? And, and so again, uh, there's all these problems. So yes, there are a couple models. They're very unusual and they're very rare because fundamentally every school, public, private, and charter, every school operates under the same structure and is not built. It's not built for the child. It's built for the, uh, for the adults in that, in that school system. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you're saying on that. Yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, as I, we want to start to close the conversation up a little bit, cause we could yeah. talk all day and frankly, you're welcome to call back and we can talk another time. Um, but so what I would say, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing all, I, all the advice I give is really what, what I do, what have others coached me and what works with some consistency, right? That's all I'm doing. So you can, and it's also free, so you can take it or throw it out. You only wasted 45 minutes on a call, right? So given where you are, um, there's a couple things I would, I would recommend. One is um, there are communities of parents who are just like you, who are trying to figure out this thing and who don't like the limits that are being imposed on them by the, the traditional school structure. Um, they are in the community that you're going to be moving to. I know it, right? They're everywhere. Um, sometimes they exist on Facebook. Uh, we're building a, uh, a platform right now that gives parents a place. It's called the Head Coach Parents. It's a it's a network. Uh, it's not it's not going to be built out for to help you in the short term, but in the long term, it, hopefully it could be. Um, uh, but I would start with Facebook, and I would look for Facebook groups in the area you're going to be lo looking into. You have to really know them a little bit. You got to know because there's even among the homeschool world, there's a lot of homeschoolers that say we want school at home, just the same level of, of restriction and, you know, um, artificial rules. Uh, so it, it takes some it takes some navigating, uh, but your kids are small enough where there's likely to be, uh, you know, Montessori option or other options or you create what I call a shadow school where yes, your child is in the traditional school model. But as I mentioned earlier, you're constantly looking for windows of how you can um, um, re reteach what learning looks like to your kids, right? Again, the challenge is that that doesn't leave a lot of time in the day, but um, you can figure it out. It's, it's a challenge, but every weekend, every holiday, every vacation, every summer. It's all about authentic learning, uh, pulling your kid out of school for mental health days, having an authentic learning platform and pathway there. Um, one of the things I argue is to negotiate powerfully with the teacher on day one by having a learning plan that you have already decided upon. 
and saying to the teacher day one, hey, listen, um, I need your help, teacher. Here's the learning plan that I have built for my child. And this is what I've been working on since day one. Um, I need your help in figuring out how we sync this up with the learning plan that, that you have. Uh, and I also need your help because, you know, our science learning plan might be way more interesting for my child. So I'd like to, I'd like to have him continue, right? But maybe, maybe, maybe I flex a little on that because maybe there's some tests that you, you know, that you need the child to pass, right? So that negotiation starts with the parent saying, I'm essentially saying I'm in charge, I'm the head coach, and I need an assistant coach to come alongside me to achieve the, the plan that I have set up. That's, that's fundamentally different than what every parent typically has with a teacher where they show up and, and you've seen it, you've, you've been a teacher, they show up and say, you know, what's, how's my child doing? Um, and they criticize you if the child's not doing well. Um, and they, you know, and they completely uh, ab abdicate their responsibilities. I'm arguing the exact opposite that they lead the conversation uh, and introduce it to the teacher day one. So that's how that's some of how you can build a shadow school, um, even though your child may be in a traditional model. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, and I know we're closing, but um, my question on that too is thinking more community, more broadly too, is how can kids who don't happen to have parents who would be a coach or yeah. how how do those kids you know how do they like, how do they get a shot how how do we make sure we're not isolating our kids um from the kids and families that need the investment that you're able to make right, right. it is the challenge of our generation and probably for every generation here's how i have personally satisfied my own um kind of moral compass around this issue um one um, I am unapologetic about protecting my kids and making sure my kids are ready for the, the future, right? So if the question is sacrifice your kids for the, uh, for the greater good, I'm going to say no. If your, if your question is um, prepare your children in a way that when they, are, when they are ready, when they are stable, they are absolutely thinking about investing in the community and in the needs of the community, that's where I'm down, right? So right now I have one daughter who's super interested in homelessness, right? She's 15. That's a, that's a, to me, it's a very good sign that she's been interviewing homeless shelters and she's writing a book now and there's a homelessness theme associated with it. There's all, right? That's the, that's the kind of kid I want to build. That's the gift I want to give to the world. But I don't, I'm not ever going to sacrifice her future by taking one for the team, Right? That's how I, that's how I, and I know I've talked to other parents who are like, no, I'm going to invest in the school and I'm going to try to change it from the inside. I just have watched that happen literally 100 times. I've been on the board of nine different educational institutions from university all the way down to uh, Head Start. And I've never seen a circumstance where a parent was able to change the school in a time horizon that helped their child. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so that's how I, that's how I sleep at night. Uh, but I'm also raising kids that are absolutely, there's an expectation that they are going to impact this community for good and this world for good. It's not about them. Uh, and frankly, I think it's easier to teach that when I have a, a much 
closer hand on them because I'm going to be asking a whole different set of questions based on my values and the, my plan that the child I want to give to the world is a child that doesn't live for themselves. They live for others. And that's not a message you're going to get with any consistency within a school system. Another dynamic of, of, of grades, by the way, there's no incentive for a child who's doing well to actually help the kid that's not, right? So don't, yeah, that's how I, that's how I live with it. Um, you're going to have to wrestle with that individually. Um, happy to talk to you further about it. It is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is not a one size fits all, but it's also not something that I will allow anyone else to speak into my life uh, because I've already decided on how I'm going to do that. And I would encourage you to decide first and then really push back if anyone else says you're not doing it right. Yep. Your kids, that's your charge. Um, and that's it. So. Well, thank you, Matt. This yeah. has really helped me um, put a framework around a lot of different thoughts that we've been having as cool. we go through the school system. Cool. And I look forward to following up once yeah. we, I've had a chance to mull over this with my husband and, you know, you, you, some of your resources as well. Sure. Yeah. Check the, there's a, there's some articles on our uh, blog around uh, creating of micro schools. I think we've got an article too about grades. Definitely follow me on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is where I do the most, most of my writing now. Um, by the way, my, my family is from Jackson, Tennessee, which is like an hour and a half outside of Memphis. Okay. Um, that's where all the teachers were long, great story about how my, my grandparents became teachers. Um, but, um, I applaud your engagement in your child's life. Uh, that is going to produce a bounty, but I would encourage you to begin with this question of who is the child that you wanna to give to the world and think long about that, write that down, be clear about it, tape it to the bathroom mirror and uh, so that you can pray about it. If you're a person of prayer, uh, if you're a person of meditation, you can meditate about it, uh, that you can share it with your friends, that it becomes a, a mantra within your own family about who your children will become. Uh, and that is, your, that is your North Star. Everything else from that will, will flow, all right? Thank you. Cool. cool. Look forward to talking with you again, Courtney. You know how to get a hold of me, right? Likewise. Cool. Thank cool. You. Nice to meet you. You too. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. You too. Bye. Right. Bye bye. Okay, gamers. I hope you took away some lessons, lessons that are going to help you play that head coach role a little bit better. So, this call today was an example of a conversation that we have every week, really every day. So, if you have questions or ideas that you want to run past me or doctors, I ask you to go to our website, theeducationgame.com backslash contact, and schedule a conversation with us. Be happy to talk through this with you, whatever your question might be. We are here to put you back in charge of your child's education and to help you develop a learning plan that works for your child. So thanks for listening to the Education Game Podcast, and we will see you here next time.